What would you give to increase sales by 8% of your restaurant? Restaurants leveraging the power of Yelp Guest Manager paired with Yelp ads. Enjoy up to an 8% monthly lift in diner bookings through Yelp. It makes sense, right? Millions of people use Yelp every day to find restaurants. And they're using that same trusted platform to book reservations and add themselves to wait lists. Your restaurant could be busier today. To learn more, visit restaurants.yelp.com forward slash podcast or call 877-571-9357 and quote podcast. Yelp Internal Data 2021. Based on average results from a sample study of restaurants with guest manager that purchased Yelp ads between April and July 2021 in Los Angeles, San Francisco, and New York City. Results may vary. Now here we go. Outsourcing, and this isn't a plug for my business specifically, but outsourcing support and help and different ways of looking at things I believe is very important because there's lots of good ideas out there. And I think at the end of the day, the more we can focus on people in our industry, which hasn't always been the first thing we've tried to take care of, I think the more we can focus on people, the better off our industry will be. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators, served up on the house. What is the most difficult part of the hospitality industry? For many, it's the lack of predictability when it comes to sales. That blind spot creates an overwhelming obstacle when it comes to profitability. But today's guest, Jim Taylor of Benchmark 60, believes he's found the solution. In our chat today, he lays out how we can optimize restaurant profits, make major costs more predictable, and forecast more accurately. It's funny, I'm pretty transparent about this. I always tell people that Benchmark 60 started by accident, <laughs> which, you know, in one way is, I think, kind of funny. And in the other way, I'm actually really proud of the fact that that's how it kind of happened organically. Because I, like a lot of people who have made a transition or doing things a little bit differently than they did pre-pandemic, I had a long operations career before starting my own business and before launching Benchmark 60. I worked for one of the leading casual fine dining restaurant concepts in Canada as an executive operations manager for, well, I was with them for 20 years overall, but did that role for 10 years doing everything from new business development to acting as kind of a liaison or translator between finance and operations. When the pandemic hit, I decided I wanted to try to help the industry recover and move forward and land back on its feet. So decided to take this leap of faith out of the corporate world of restaurants. Benchmark 60 actually came to sort of be based on a project that I'd done while I was taking some extended education type stuff around the concept that labor cost as a percentage of revenue is the number one cause of stress and anxiety in restaurants. So there was this case study and project and work that was done based around that, which led us to a bunch of different strategies, including things like how to measure productivity, how to measure employee workload, and those types of things, rather than looking at labor cost as a percentage of revenue. So trying to improve overall employee experience and a lot of those things. That's how Benchmark 60 was originally created. And the first client or gig that I had was actually a friend who owned a restaurant that was having trouble based on COVID and basically called me and said, I need some help. So I was gifted a case study of, you know, a, a customer, I guess, before I even had a business. So that's kind of where it originally came from. Where'd the name come from? 
Well, when I was trying to figure out what the best course of action was or way to sort of make an impact, I thought I was going to get into the world of online courses, you know, and try to put together something that could be a lot of actionable, quick type stuff for operators to implement in their businesses. And originally it was based on obviously a lot of benchmarking, which is still what we do, but to ROI in 60 days. And as that started to kind of come to fruition and start to happen, everyone that I had go through that course actually sort of said, can you just work with us instead? It's better to be kind of coached on this rather than just sort of read about it or that kind of thing. So it kind of organically became what I refer to as more of a data coaching business than a course. Well, what data are you tracking? Well, it's, there's all of this technology that our industry has adopted in the last five years, but accelerated in the last two or three, right? And I can't remember the exact stat, but it's somewhere between 10 and 15% of the available information in all of those tech stacks actually gets used because so many operators don't have time or they just don't understand maybe how to use all of it to their advantage. So we really focus on four core metrics that help us measure some of these things. Customer spend, which is already something that gets looked at by quite a few operators. Average wage, which factors in things like when overtime is happening in a restaurant or, you know, those wages will fluctuate depending on market, government decisions, overtime, lots of that kind of stuff. We look at customer count a lot. And customer count is kind of our go-to in terms of how to make an impact. Meaning total number of covers? Total number of covers, yes. Yeah. And then the end result is putting some of this data together allows us to measure actual productivity in a restaurant environment. And by doing that, we can predict labor costs. We can really predict big impactors into profitability. We can measure employee workload and a lot of those kind of things. But it's data that restaurant operators, for the most part, understand to a degree. So I spent my entire life in independent operations. I never worked for a corporate restaurant group. And I've always said that if I could go back and only change one thing, I would have. Because like, that's a blueprint, right? Like that's obviously a successful model. Once you scale to 10, 20, 30 locations, you've got systems in place. And the hardest part of being an independent restaurant or an independent business owner is that the first time you send an invoice, you've got to learn how to create an invoice, right? Everything is new. Everything is being done for the first time. And I'm curious to know what facets of that corporate existence do you bring into these independent restaurants? The typical restaurant that we work with or restaurant company that we work with is what I call regional mid-market. So they're a privately owned, sometimes one, but usually two, sometimes all the way up to 20 locations. They've got maybe some marketing team working for them and they've got an operations department and they've got a, their chef team and whatnot. But a lot of the time what they don't have is there's a gap between technology and operations. They don't have an analyst working at head office. They might have a CFO, but in some cases they don't even have a CFO, right? The owner is the CFO. Right. And so a lot of the times, you know, I say this quite often that we help to bridge the gap between technology and operations by helping them understand how to use all of the information that's available and turn it into strategy really quickly. You bring up a valid point, which is it's not really about data or access to data because it's 2022 and there's plenty of data out there. It's about the interpretation of that data. Exactly. Does it make for low-hanging fruit? I mean, are you able to just go in, look at the data and be like, these are the obvious three or four things you guys should do out the gate? A hundred percent. 
when you look at things from a more aggregated, bigger picture point of view, and we use bigger data sets of 10, 12, 14, 16 weeks worth of information, the outlying scenarios that happen are removed, right? You have a spike in customer count one day, or you have a spike in labor cost another day, or the opposite. And those things cause stress for operators, right? But when we look at it in more of a big picture, we can start to see that, like I said, that measurement around how productive the business is or how much workload the employees have to take on. And it helps to compartmentalize the information really quickly. So we might say a location or a company that has two different locations, almost exactly the same two restaurants in two different markets. We might really quickly identify that the average customer spend in one location is $4 less than the other location, meaning that that's exactly where they need to focus their attention. How do we get the average spend at one location to be the same as the other one? And that might be the difference between two or three or four points on their profit margin sometimes. So it might be a marketing decision or an ops decision or an ownership decision that's causing that, and they don't even know it. I want to quote your website. You say the Benchmark 60 program aims to remove variables which make results more consistent and predictable. What are those variables you're removing? So the variables are things like one of the case studies that we did around this whole concept of labor cost being the number one cause of stress and anxiety. We did a case study on hundreds of shifts in multiple concepts, front of house and back of house. And it was a very small percentage of the time did any manager or chef, front of house or back of house, actually hit their labor target on any given day, right? And so what we found was that there are things like these managers might be getting paid their bonus based on labor cost. They might be making decisions based on training or how much to pay somebody or all of these different things that affects customer service. All of those different decisions that go into managing labor costs every day, there are so many variables that the manager actually can't even control them all. What they can control is how many staff they need in order to serve a certain number of customers. And if we can laser focus on exactly getting that right every day, things like labor costs will take care of themselves. We can actually predict what labor costs will be before it even happens. So I've existed in every tier of dining and... What I struggled with ultimately was overtime, right? And then labor is a function of overall sales. And so I guess to hone in on the strategy that you use, when you go in and you interpret the data, I know that overtime is very prevalent in the industry and that we all struggle with it. Is that one of the first things you do, you look at overall sales relative to hours of operation and try and streamline Because outside of limiting hours of operation, I don't know how to eliminate overtime. Right. So again, thinking about that concept of how productive the business is, essentially that metric that we use is in the simplest way to put it, it's a ratio between the number of customers you're serving and the number of staff you need to take care of those customers. Okay. So there are going to be things that happen on any given day that are out of the control of the manager. Things like If I didn't write the schedule, I can't control if there's overtime on it. I can't control if I have a higher paid bartender or a higher paid person at the front desk than someone else. I can't control how many dollars each customer is going to spend necessarily. We can do sales contests and try to improve it, but we can't control those things. But if you think about it again, over the longer period of time, if we see a week or a month that the labor cost is, let's say it's a point above their target. If their productivity score is where we want it to be based on their concept, if labor cost is high, there's typically only two reasons why. Either 
their average wage was high, meaning that either scheduling overtime impacted it, or their average customer spend was lower than what it would have been over the longer period of time. So our message to the operator is, if it's one day or one shift, or even one week, if labor cost fluctuates a little bit, that's normal and natural. And don't stress about that. What the important part to focus on is customer service, employee experience, and the relationship between those two. Because if those are looked after, we already know what in the long run will happen with things like labor cost. Is that where most of the prescriptions exist? Is in that customer service and quality of product? Or is it hours of operation, overall menu scope and size relative to creating a more efficient model? Yeah. I mean, how deeply do you guys get involved in operations? Typically not very, well, this might sound funny, but typically not that much. 90% of the work that we do is virtual. And I tell our customers all the time, I'm not going to probably teach you anything operational about your restaurant unless you ask for one, because we've all got different experiences. But our role in the operation is to decipher what the data is telling us. So you know, an example might be that if we're trying to improve that ratio of customers to staff, and we find that on a Saturday or every Saturday in one restaurant, the first customer doesn't come in until noon on average, but their staff are starting at 9 a.m. and they open at 11. Well, we might help them understand how that data is telling them that they could move the entire team back to 10 o'clock, open at 11.45 and not upset a customer. And that in yeah. turn would improve the relationship between the number of staff hours and the number of customers we're serving. And the way to think about it is that if I had a crystal ball and we could tell a restaurant owner that they were going to serve 50 customers today, 100 customers tomorrow, and 200 customers the next day, if we asked them, how many staff do you need to serve those 50, 100, or 200 customers, they probably would think, I need, let's call it 10 people on the 50 customer day. I probably need two or three more on the 100 customer day. And I probably need another two or three more on the 200 customer day, right? But if we flipped it and said, you're going to do $1,000 in sales the first day, $2,000 in sales the second day, and $10,000 in sales the third day, quite often what we find restaurant operators do is they throw people at that revenue number, thinking right. I'm going to be busier on the $10,000 day. But if it was happening because it just meant that each customer spent $50 on the busier day, and only $10 on the slower day, it's still the same number of customers. So what we can do is remove those variables around you can't control that one customer is going to spend more and focus on the interaction between people. It starts to become more of a, like I said, an aggregated, bigger picture, data-driven approach to operations. And it's actually also more about people. What's interesting about everything you're saying is that most of us are trying to improve our business by running a different business right? Like I need to bring in a lot more people. The focus on profitability typically revolves around marketing. But what I think I hear you saying is that within these unprofitable businesses lies a profitable business. And so what you're doing is, is you're peeling back the layers until the model that exists is a profitable model so that it's not like oh, well, you've got to grow sales to this and then you'll be profitable. It's saying based on your current volume, this is how you could operate in a profitable way. Absolutely. The first study we ever did on this concept back in 2015, the challenge that was sort of put in front of us was 
based on the fact that minimum wage was skyrocketing in Canada at the time. Most of the markets were seeing anywhere from a 25 to 40% increase in minimum wage over 18 months. So it was kind of this race to $15 an hour. And the challenge that was put in front of us was we don't want labor cost as a percentage to go up as minimum wages skyrocket. You're not allowed to raise prices and you're not allowed to cut staff hours. So find a different way to negate that rising cost. And for me personally, I mean, I've been in operations a long time, just like you, my go-to strategies at the time were when wages go up, you raise prices or when wages go up, you try to run with less staff. Mm -hmm. And so not being allowed to go to either of those strategies forced us to look at this differently. I know you do a ton of work in the U.S. and in Canada. Mm -hmm. What are the differences between the two markets from a restaurateur's perspective? Who do you think is doing better and why? I think that the labor shortages are more challenging in the U.S. even than they are in Canada. And anyone who's in Canada hearing this will probably maybe contest that. But because of the wage structure, it's a lot different. Everybody in Canada basically makes $15 an hour as minimum wage, whether they make tips or not. So that changes the dynamic a little bit. I'm finding that a lot of the work that we're doing in the U.S. market is more based around how to use that same strategy to improve retention strategies more than it is improve labor cost. Like we just did a cool project with a company that wanted to add cleaning and laundry service for every employee that works for them. So they actually send someone to your house to clean and do your laundry one day a week to improve your work-life balance. So our role in that project was to help them reverse engineer this whole strategy so that they could add that cost on purpose and not lose margin. Where in Canada, it's still more about prices are up, wages are way up, customer count is kind of flat. So how do we negate these really high wages? I was talking to an operator the other day that can't even find a completely brand new to the industry front desk employee for less than $18 an hour. Wow. Right. So we're working with that type of group in order to sort of say, okay, how do we re-engineer this so that you can maintain good profit margins at $18 an hour for your lowest paid employee? It is a little bit different depending on the market, but the strategy remains the same. It's essentially how do you negate increasing costs without raising prices or cutting staff? And most of your customers, is it all of your customers see a 5 to 15% increase in, what is it, net profit? So our goal is always to find a 5% improvement in productivity in the business. And so to give you a, what that equates to, a restaurant that does $3 million a year in sales, a 5% improvement in productivity, depending a little bit on their wage and pricing structures, but a 5% improvement in productivity in a $3 million a year restaurant typically gives them somewhere in the $80,000 a year opportunity. Now, I try not to use the word savings because it might not go directly to the bottom line unless the owner wanted it to. Typically, it's used to repurpose and reinvest into the business in order to improve things like recruiting and retention and employee experience and overall customer service. I saw on the website that there's a guarantee that if you do all of the things that are prescribed, you'll guarantee the results. So are these universal truths? Does this work for everyone? So currently, we are working with QSR companies, a couple fairly large ones that you would have heard of, some franchisees, so I can't say the names, but well-known. Our smallest customer right now is a Bible college in Western Canada that we're working with their cafeteria space that's been losing $100,000 a year. Our largest client is an 80-location restaurant group that does full service. We've done work with steakhouses, with sushi concepts. with So yeah, it's definitely a universal 
thing. If you have customers and you have average spend and you pay wages, it'll work. I know your core focus is on labor, but you also have some pretty innovative strategies for scaling profitability. Can you run me through some of those? Yeah. So it all kind of relates to the same, that measure of not to repeat myself too much, but the concept of how productive the business is. So where that originally, some of that came from, uh, was looking at things like manufacturing facilities and different industries that focus really heavily on, you know, there's a great book called the Toyota model where they talk about how to limit time waste and how to maximize efficiency and those types of things. So the profit strategies, a lot of them start first with measuring what the overall, I use output or productivity interchangeably, What's the overall output level of the business and how do we improve it by, like I said, 5%. Part of the profit strategy that comes from that is that any, the reason we say 5% is that anything more than 5%, there's a point where you're trying to improve productivity to maximize profits, right? Right. However, the catch is there's a threshold. If you improve the productivity too high or too much, all of a sudden it becomes workload management. Right. Hmm. So if we flip that around, one of the core profit strategies that we work with a lot of restaurants on is that find the optimal level of productivity. And if it gets too high, you automatically know that your people are not having a good experience. So we can connect that directly to retention, turnover rates, what the training cost is to help them lower a lot of those expenses that happen based on poor employee experience that they might not even know is happening until they do the annual survey. Well, yeah, it's a delicate balance, right? Because you desperately want that productivity, but retention is also a real issue in the industry. Is that a core focus? Absolutely. All of our team members have t-shirts that say retention is the new cool. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Well, let's talk about that problem. Why do you think employers are losing employees at such a rapid rate? Well, looking back now, not to quote you, but you said if you would have, could have changed one thing, you would have, right? I mean, our entire industry is notorious for trying to be as efficient as possible, almost, in my opinion, to a fault, because trying to be efficient and cutting as much as we can in order to get down to the percentage that we're looking for, because the industry can be such a tight margined industry. I mean, how many times have you told a server when you were in operations or a bartender or a staff member, you're cut, right? Yeah. You're done for the day. For sure. Right. That might have been a two hour shift, a four hour shift or a 12 hour shift. But our entire industry is focused around this. Do as much as possible with as little resource as possible. And so we're trying to use this same strategy from a more people centric standpoint to help them understand that you can pay people a little bit more. I'm not a wage lobbyist, but you can pay people more. You can provide them a really good living and an appropriate number of hours to work, and you can still hit the targets and the percentage of costs that you're looking for. There's different ways to approach it. Let's talk about labor generally within the hospitality industry. And yes, everybody's trying to do more with less. But what are some common mistakes and solutions that independent restaurant owners and operators could use from your lessons, from your experience in corporate? What are things they could do to improve their labor dynamics today? I think if I could encourage every operator to just do one thing, focus on the relationship between the number of customers you're serving and the number of staff that you have serving them. Let's say your restaurant serves five customers in the front of house for every one hour that your staff work on average. 
that's going to give you a certain revenue number because your customers, there's an average spend attached to each customer, right? There's a wage attached to each staff member. So that's going to give you a certain labor result. But what would happen if you went to 5.1 customers or 5.2 customers as an average and still only use the same number of hours? Because it's not such a big increase that anyone would probably even really notice. Well, that would cause your ratio to go up and your labor cost in turn would actually come down naturally. Where do you see the most waste when it comes to productivity? Is it in the front of house or back of house? I believe it's actually in how we manage customers. Really? Yeah. So the first thing we look at or the first conversation we have with every restaurant operator we work with is how many customers are you turning away at the front door by accident? Because either you've got to wait and they don't want to wait that long. The most junior, sometimes least well-trained person who's dealing with those people that might be nervous and is giving them a quote time that's, uh, it's going to be an hour, I'm not sure. And people go somewhere else. We did a quick sort of project or study with a restaurant not long ago that was doing about $2 million a year in revenue. Okay, Their average customer spend was $30. If that restaurant could serve two more customers at lunch and two more customers at dinner every day for the whole year and not change anything else, keep everything else exactly the same, their labor costs would drop by one whole percentage point. That's crazy. And so the first thing they always say is, well, wouldn't it be nice if we could just get two more customers every day? And I said, well, or we said, well, what if you could just not lose two customers every day? Or what if you took your promo budget and said, the only thing we're going to use this promo budget for is to meet a new customer and buy that, start a new tab and buy them a beer or something. Well, every time you add one new customer, one new cover, you're adding and improving that ratio. So it was literally two customers a day at lunch, two customers a day at dinner, change nothing else, and their labor costs would drop by a percentage. This is an industry podcast. And at the end of every episode, I like to give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. Do you have any advice or words of encouragement you'd like to offer? Words of encouragement? I think our industry is headed for really good things. We've had a couple of crazy years, and I think it's actually headed into a right direction because those crazy years are forcing us to look at things differently. You and I were talking about this right before we jumped on here, that outsourcing, and this isn't a plug for my business specifically, but outsourcing support and help and different ways of looking at things, I believe is very important because there's lots of good ideas out there. And I think at the end of the day, the more we can focus on people in our industry, which hasn't always been the first thing we've tried to take care of, I think the more we can focus on people, the better off our industry will be. That's Jim Taylor. For more on Benchmark 60, visit taylorcoconsulting.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.